Good morning, everyone. Um, welcome to Strategy Cafe. Lovely to see you all. Uh, so before we get going, a quick reminder that our past leadership webinars are on our YouTube channel and you can find uh, 60 fabulous interviews with leaders and discussions on a huge range of leadership and business topics and sectors. And including last month's interview with Chris and James Mason, founder and successor at Mindshop, talking about how uh, they shifted power. It was a fabulous discussion, uh, really lovely, and gradually sort of you got this sense of uh, a beautiful relationship and a deep sense of values uh, leading everything that uh, they had used to deal with their own succession. And I highly recommend it. It was a really lovely, lovely discussion. Um, good to deep dive in that channel for ideas and inspiration. Loads of stuff that you could share with your teams. So following on from uh, Chris and James's session, today we want to dive deeper into this um, key issue at the heart of succession, which is the handover of power. Um, often succession gets talked about in terms of structure and governance and process, and we are going to touch on that. But fundamentally today, we're going to be talking about the human factor um, and, uh, you know, the dynamic that is at the heart of this changeover in, in power. So hopefully you'll find, find this interesting. Um, before we get going, I'd just like to introduce the team this morning. So maybe I can pass the baton to um, Wanda and welcome Wanda as uh, our newest team member and uh, uh, very welcome to Strategy Cafe. Good morning, everybody. What a wonderful treat to be here this morning with you all. And thank you, Nick, for the very warm welcome. It's been a wonderful uh, month and a bit. I've really uh, loved my time with Alembic so far, and um, I'm an organizational psychologist. I've been in the field for in excess of 25 years, working with founders and uh, funders um, and uh, helping them through all different kinds of iterations, including exits and new CEOs and succession and all different kinds of things. And that's a little bit about me, and uh, I'm going to pass back to you. Uh, very welcome. And Barbara. Hello, everyone. Um, I'm a senior strategy facilitator and coach at Lambeck. And my background is management consulting, transformation and change. And I blend that with coaching and facilitation to support our clients and their teams to go through transition process, change and succeed in what they want to. And I'm really happy to be here today. Morning, morning, Barbara and, and Matt. Morning, everybody. Um, for those of you that don't know me, I'm Matt, one of the senior strategy facilitators and coaches at Alembic. Uh, my background is in healthcare strategy and operations. <clears throat> when I was young and fresh faced, like my picture there. Um, these days, I work with leaders across the UK in any sector to solve some of their trickiest issues through facilitation and coaching. Welcome, welcome, Matt. Uh, and for those of you who don't know me, I'm Nick Makey. I'm the founder and um, managing director here at Lembeck, uh, also a coach and facilitator. Um, right, so uh, let's get going. Uh, we thought we'd start by sharing a poll. And um, we just, uh, so there's multiple choice on this, this poll. You can uh, select many items. And we just wanted to get a feel for, um, you know, with you, with your clients, with your business, with your experience in your family, you know, what have you experienced? You just take anything that's relevant, really. Okay, uh, so um, interesting. We've got uh, four votes, but hired the wrong person. So I do feel that that's quite a common experience. 
uh, and a couple for external and one for internal. Um, thank you very much. Let's get into the um, uh, the webinar. I want to just kick off with some sort of framing remarks, really. Uh, we uh, like to think of succession as uh, a transitional phase. It's a nice way of grabbing this uh, period of handover of power. Uh, in our experience, there's no one version of this. Every client seems to have a novel approach, and perhaps that's because the business context is slightly different. Uh, certainly the people context is going to be slightly different and then the personalities will have an effect. So there's no one way. Uh, all we really experience is vari variation uh, in this. Variation in the time length, variation in the process, variation in the issues, etc. But there are some commonalities and one of them is caused by this idea of it being a transitional phase. Uh, once it gets started, it kicks off a period of uncertainty. And during that uncertainty, everyone kind of knows that at some point, um, power or authority is going to have to move from one or two people where it's resided for a long time and is deeply habitual to somebody else, you know, who people need to get used to. Um, and there are so many different ways of doing that, and it's such a difficult thing to do, uh, that it creates um, huge ambiguity for a period of time. And that heightens nerves, uh, anxiety, um, creates a more heated environment and drives some of the emotional difficulty that people experience. So um, it's incredibly difficult and it's very, very important to everybody. And that, again, just sort of heightens the tension. Um, and for all the governance, process, support, et cetera, that you can go through, in our experience, pretty um, commonly, it can come down to really subtle communication differences, maybe differences in values, subtle differences in values and beliefs in traits and personality between the people who are most heavily involved in the succession. And that's often where uh, it found us. So with that opening, um, I'm going to hand over to Matt. Uh, he's going to kick us off with some conversation around process and governance. Thank you, Nick. Uh, really to build on what Nick has said there in the introduction, um, we find that when people think about succession, generally the first kind of things which come to mind are focused around things like uh, maintaining business as usual, uh, practical things like recruitment or handover. Um, when we think about succession and what it can really be like to manage, um, I'm reminded less of those kind of business continu continuity issues and more of a high stakes merger. So like the fusion of people and culture and ideas um, that really drive a business down a change process. And that ultimately presents new opportunities, but also comes with quite a few um, admittedly difficult risks to manage. Um, I think framing succession around the idea of a change process is, um, is a really good way to start thinking about it. Uh, it brings up the idea there will be a process to work through up and above the practical issues like finding a new leader for the business. Um, and in fact, it can be these other issues that are harder to manage, things like uh, cultural fit or how the transition of power is going to work, for example. Um, we all probably know how difficult change process can be. Most people have been through some kind of change process. Um, and this kind of process can have an added ingredient, which makes it a little bit trickier to manage. 
which is a, a highly emotionally charged environment. It's not completely unique in this way because other change processes um, can have that as well. Um, but for one reason or another, it, it's part of the part of the process can be quite underestimated. Um, one of the biggest blunders um, is actually not governing succession like a change initiative. So this means having a good process with adequate governance um, in the right places to keep everything on track. So the process needs to be well, well defined, it needs to be flexible, um, it needs to be iterative, and importantly, it needs to include a focus on the human factor, which Nick, Nick touched on. Um, this means finding a reliable mechanism to check in on how people are feeling, to gather some feedback. Um, you need to give a bit of space to have debate amongst the team and you need to start working towards really building uh, buy-in. Um, I won't touch on that too much. I know uh, Barbara is going to talk about it a little bit more later. Um, next slide, please. Okay, so we've decided that we need a change process. Um, now quickly, just to nod back to what I've said, um, we need both a change process and we need governance to cover that process. Um, so these are not the same thing. Um, and a great process can very quickly go up in flames if it's left to run itself. Um, I personally think it's an important point when we're talking about succession of leadership. Um, there's all kinds of things that can go wrong. There are things which can change. The environment's ever changing. Um, and it's also sometimes something that can be left to the board because you're recruiting at the highest level. Um, and they might have a bit less experience in practical governance type roles. Um, so might need a bit more help and a process can really help with that. So it makes it really important to define your process, including how it's going to be governed before you get going. Um, it will also act as an early flag for any issues around how things are going to work. Um, and actually you can use it as a positive. It's a really great tool for communicating what's going on to other people, which is also a really key element in how things work. Um, now the process is likely to be iterated as you go along, which is fine. I think uh, all good processes should be flexible. Um, and it's really something you should intend to be more like a, a guiding light towards good practice rather than a, a tether to firmly hold you onto one path. Uh, that being said, I do think it's a good idea to have um, as much definition as you can on the get-go uh, to spark some kind of healthy debate around identifying any issues. Uh, I think the final point worth mentioning is uh, this kind of approach can be really valuable um, when it's used to set expectations in the business, something which is really, really valuable at the start. Um, people are bound to have questions. They're probably uh, guessing around things they've heard. It could be gossiping. It could be inferring meaning from a whole host of things. Um, setting expectations early um, and getting ahead of anxieties, which might be brewing in the kind of pre-change environment, um, can be really valuable. Thing, people are always thinking or worrying about how it's going to affect them, about how the timelines are going to work. So getting communication out early um, can be can really pay dividends by the end of the process. Uh, next slide, please. Okay, the one person we haven't referenced yet, and perhaps the most important, uh, is the incoming leader. Uh, obviously, one of our primary aims is to get the integration and handover right. Otherwise, we are left back in the position that we were in at the start. Uh, with that in mind, how do we set up 
our new leader for success and avoid drawing out the integration period for them. Um, well, there are heaps of ways to get this right and even more ways to get it wrong. Um, we've seen many of both at Alembic and I'll be asking my colleagues in a second um, to tell you a little bit about some in, in their experience. Um, just quickly to touch on before I hand over to them, um, I want to mention a tool that I really like to use called uh, Reiki or Archi, uh, depending on your personal preference. Um, this tool works by identifying areas of each key person and where they are accountable, um, where they have responsibility for delivering something, where they need to be consulted, or where they just need to be informed about what's going on. It's a great framework to use in all areas of the business. Um, it's not always um, an end to all of your accountability problems by any means, um, but in the long term, it provides a really good structure. And in the example of um, what we're talking about, it's really, really good for um, getting debate going. So it can spark really good debate and you can use it uh, not just to explain structure, but also to frame some of the issues you're talking about. Um, and with that, as I promised, I want to pose a question to my colleagues. Um, when it comes to integration of new leaders, what approaches have you seen that work really well? And what have you seen that's not gone very well? I might start with that. Um, so we touched um, upon cultural fit and communication. So I've seen... Um, new CEOs um, joining a company and immediately going out to teams um, and senior leaders and spending time on the ground and sitting with the people literally at lunch or in different offices and managing that communication anxiety um, very well. Um, I've seen um, situations in which CEOs were not provided with the power of uh, making any changes, particularly um, um, a situation where um, a CEO was um, uh, was joining a, an organization where office politics were grown out, out of control and the company was having serious issues with retention. And um, the CEO was task to embark on a cultural transformation program to achieve high performance culture. However, um, he was not provided with the right powers to make changes, to um, progress with specific initiatives and to touch on the organizations and make specific redundancies for people that were particularly toxic. So, um, he could not make the changes that were um, needed and therefore failed. Um, I've also though, witnessed a situation in which um, um, new leader uh, were not able to make the right um, relationship with the teams. And they were in their head office, never visited anyone, um, never talked to anyone. Um, and therefore, that they were not uh, really seen as leaders. They were seen as people who uh, were acting on behalf of the board and not on behalf of the community. And one in particular um, 
um, faced so much resistance for, for all of the initiative that he was supposed to um, uh, to achieve that in the end failed because the targets were not met. So things can go right and things can go really wrong. Has anyone got um, another example? Barbara, I'll jump in there because if you're talking about um, uh, high performance and uh, CEOs not actually being able to affect uh, what is needed or what they deem is needed, um, I've seen things um, go really right and really wrong there. Um, and I think a lot of it comes down to what Matt talk about, talked about, and that is really around setting these expectations, right? Uh, what do we expect um, from the senior leadership team? What do we expect? What does the board expect of the new CEO? And being really clear about that. Where I've seen something go really wrong is where the board has set very clear expectations for an incoming CEO, but where they have been entirely financially um, explicit. So they've only been, these are the targets we want you to reach. And anybody can reach any targets um, provided that they're willing to do it at any cost. Mm. So I think, you know, where I've seen it fall horribly wrong is where uh, the CEO has become entirely focused on meeting those financial targets um, and expectations that have been set by the board because those are the only targets and expectations that have been set by the board. So I think that for incoming um, CEOs, it's really important to be really clear about uh, all of the expectations, mm. uh, including um, how we lead, um, you know, what's important for us as an organization, uh, what are we looking to grow, what are those boundaries in terms of, uh, you know, how do we balance delivery um, uh, with um, uh, the people aspects? So that would be one example that I can think of where it's gone horribly wrong. Of course, there are millions and millions more, but I think that's a big one where the board focuses a lot on finance. Can I jump in with an example? <clears throat> Yeah, so taking it, I think great, great examples. Uh, so your know, problems can come from all sorts of directions. I, I wanted just to share one, uh, just you know, uh, from from my experience, uh, which takes it much more into the interpersonal dynamic. Um, so this is um, handover of power, where the previous managing director became the chair, and now the ex managing director is the chair of the incoming managing director who's promoted. So that's the that's the scenario. It's a you know real example, and it's been uh, talked about for ages. You know, there's a lot of a lot of consent around it, um, plenty of appropriate powers and structures, etc. So it should have gone right. It'll look great on paper. And uh, these two had worked together for many years and seemed to have good chemistry. Um, upon transition, within three months, it absolutely fell apart. And uh, it seemed to come down to uh, the chair um, trying to do his job appropriately as chair and rein in what he thought was. Um, um, inappropriate uh, responses to some of the contexts that were coming up um, from the uh, incoming uh, managing director. Um, and I guess it's just that shift, right? So from uh, earlier on, the way he would have experienced him was as a colleague and as a line report. And now suddenly he's experiencing him as the person with mm -hmm. all lines of authority poking at him, uh, everyone looking at him, you know, and it clearly had an emotional impact on him and it changed his behavior. So in the first three to six months, 
uh, promoted CEOs can often be frazzled by the experience of mm -hmm. uh, suddenly being the one that has to call the shots, ultimately. And all that good practice can go a little bit out of the window. So I think uh, the chair was just trying to rein this in, but over a particular issue, and um, the uh, MD just locked horns. Uh, mm -hmm. They ended up having a huge, huge row, which spilled over into the board. You know, and for all rational reasons, the board should have supported the chair. The chair was, in my view, probably right. Um, but it came down to uh, future versus the past, and the board decided to back uh, the incoming MD and maybe didn't have the emotional intelligence to try and actually resolve the discussion. Uh, became very binary because the argument had become very polarizing. So just, you know, really super interesting example of how things that look great on paper just can fall apart in practice very quickly. Yeah. yeah thank, thanks. That's really interesting and variable examples. Um, <laughs> shows you while, while we talk about frameworks which are excellent and really good for planning and structure and can be used for early communication and um, having a bit of variability flexibility is really important in how you manage your process because you just don't know some of these things that are going to come up so there is there's kind of two elements to it and a good process in governance is just it's just the starting point um next slide i think So basically what we're saying here is that our collective experience teaches us that even tried and tested CEOs or very senior people who have been trained and prepared to lead um, the company can just fail because of this human factor. It just happens. It's so unpredictable. So... But what is it, this human factor that we, we were constantly mentioning? So at, at the Lambic, we tend to look at it um, from three perspectives and three areas. And um, the relationship with these three areas is extremely important. And the first is for the person that is coming um, to lead is having um, an understanding and enough psychological flexibility and emotional intelligence to problem solve within the power dynamic. And that includes self-awareness, all of the different skills that are needed to lead, the engagement style, the communication, and all of that. Then we talk about understanding the business context and having enough of um, understanding of the business context to make sound decision. And the business context, again, um, contains a heap of things like culture of the organization, the values, the histories, the processes, the way the organization works. And then finally, the third area is um, the ability to create confidence within the team and the market so that the new CEOs can um, open up avenues for action and again, this means all of the interpersonal relationship, but also all of the other two brought together. So there's a lot in the human factor, and therefore there's a lot of unpredictable things that can kick in. So it is fundamental that whether you are thinking of growing um, someone internally for them to become the new leader, or you are hiring externally, 
that you think of both the situation of success. So it's important, as Matt um, said, to have a process, to have the governance, to have um, all of the um, accountabilities be right. But it's even more fundamental to plan for things that go wrong because it can happen and it can happen. And it the, the, the experience tells everyone that it, this happens a lot. So having a plan for when the ship is sinking is equally fundamental than ensuring that um, uh, the new leader and the new CEO is set up for success. So plan, plan, plan for the what if. What if the human factor kicks in? And one that is going to tell us a little bit more about what organization can do to plan for that scenario. Thank you so much, Barbara. <clears throat> so in thinking about the kinds of aspects that we maybe want to hold um, whilst we are thinking around the process uh, and the governance that we want to put in place, I've come up with a little acronym and uh, put this image on, which is this flock of birds. And maybe it's an image that you might want to recall whilst you're in your planning phases and going through your Gantt charts um, or Reiki charts and doing all of your planning. You might want to just subtly hold that picture and image at the back of your mind and reference against um, this acronym. And it may be helpful. The first is really around framing. And how do we frame this change? Um, how do we frame this um, transitional period, uh, both for the SLT uh, and for the whole organization. So how do we ready the SLT and the whole organization uh, in a way that uh, creates safety for them? Um, how do we normalize the change that is gonna happen? So how do we normalize this feeling of uh, one day it's really good, the next day I'm really struggling and maybe um, doing that by uh, facilitated sessions, um, taking people through the change curve and having giving them a fundamental understanding of the change process and the emotional journey that's involved in the change process. process. And also realizing that ultimately um, there's this change that's going to happen at an organizational level, but that that change is also a very personal journey, a very real felt experience for each human being involved in the organization. Um, and how do we embrace and create space for that? then how do we lean into our organizational values um, in framing of this transitional uh, period and make the, make the most of leaning into those values? Also looking at how can we embed or ensure that our culture is really codified into the organization and is made really clear both for the incoming CEO and for the rest of the organization and that embedding or coding of uh, um, codifying of, of culture is something that's really, really, really critical um, because that really speaks to the fundamentals of how and why we do things here, right? So um, an example I was going to talk a little bit about was um, cultural inference and, 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 you know, very simple things uh, like, for example, a new CEO coming into an organization and in his old culture, it was totally acceptable for him to bring his phone into those meetings. 
in this new cultural setting, we just don't bring phone, phones into meetings, right? And the cultural inference that people make um, around that, he's constantly on his phone, he doesn't care, um, he's always distracted, he's never really present with us, he's not really interested. All of those inferences that people make from just a subtle little thing, you know, those tiny things um, uh, can have a really big impact. So how do we embed and codify how we do things and why we do things in a certain way here? How do we meet? Uh, how do we assess? Um, how do we regard performance? Um, all of those kinds of aspects. And we also know from a Gallup study that when employees strongly agree that leaders help them to see um, the impact that changes made today are gonna have down the line, that those employees are seven and a half times more likely to feel connected to the company culture, right? So are we communicating what we expect and hope the impact of these uh, changes is going to be um, for us? Uh, because that's a really important aspect. So the first uh, little dimension to maybe hold in awareness is this idea of framing. The second is really, are we listening? Have we set up listening systems in the organization? Are we listening truly to where people are at, how they are struggling, what they're struggling with? Um, what will we look for? How are we integrating that into our one-on-ones? Um, how will we know if we're signaling towards success or away from success for the CEO at any given point in time? You know, and then how do we know um, really how people are dealing both with the change, but what their feelings are towards um, incoming CEOs and also how they're dealing with the loss of outgoing CEOs. Mm -hmm. You know, there's this period of, uh, of grief, of organizational grief, particularly if the CEO has been held in, high de in, in really um, high regard by the organization. And how do we deal with that? The third aspect is really around over-communicating. And the reason that I've said over-communicating as opposed to just communicating is because when we feel we're over-communicating, the reality is, is that the organization feels that we are just, just communicating enough. So um, often we feel we're, we're giving too much information, we're, we're communicating too often. The reality is, is that how the organization very often perceives that is, I'm only just getting, barely getting enough information. Um, and, we know that that is linked, that uh, communi leadership communication is linked uh, to um, how uh, people build capacity for resilience. Uh, so um, it's really, really important that we are over communicating. Um, are we gathering anonymous feedback? Um, you know, are we um, creating communication structures, whether that's through town halls, whether that's through ask me anything, whether that's through Slack channels or uh, you know, what communications do we put in place and, and, and how do we communicate often? And then this, the last aspect is really this aspect around connection. How do we create, and Barbara's touched on this beautifully, right? The CEO that's in meetings is present with teams. How do we create and deliberately um, create moments of connection? Mm -hmm. uh, moments for people to connect with a new CEO, um, uh, to balance these transactional aspects with these relational aspects. Uh, you know, how do we create moments of support? Um, are there company days, special events? Even if the company is 100% remote or hybrid, 
there's things that we can do like how do we have do you know could we create an online gaming evening where we just spend time together to really get to know one another and to really connect with one another as a you know on a really human fundamental human level so maybe these are four broader aspects that we can try to be intentional about and hold in our minds when we think about uh, transitions um, around succession um, and incoming and exiting of, of, of CEOs. And um, I'm going to hand back now, I think, to, um, to Alice or to Nick. Yeah, so uh, I've got a question, if I may. <clears throat> Just listening to you talk, you make some wonderful points, Wanda. Um, and um, so, you know, we all experience communication uh, in organizations. And one of the things that um, that I often see with clients is they're communicating a lot, but they may be communicating in a way that doesn't quite tap into what seems meaningful mm -hmm. uh, to people. So there can be a lot of communication and organizations can say, what's wrong with you? We're communicating loads. There's loads mm -hmm. of communication here. It's amazing. Um, but the problem is there's a disconnect. Um, and what is being communicated, while maybe valuable and useful, isn't what's needed. Mm. Um, I wonder if you have a kind of uh, any suggestions or ideas on how to tune, how to tune in. Um, I think it goes back to those listening systems, Nick, for me. You know, if we're truly listening to what our people need, uh, we'll know how to communicate with them. Uh, we'll know what they um, are, you know, what their expectations are and what they're needing in this moment. Are they needing moments of connection, right? Um, are they needing to understand the bigger picture, uh, you know, which might be a town hall? Are they needing consistency um, and just regular updates as to where we are in the process? Um, and I think that if we're really listening, if we have those listening systems really well um, embedded um, and defined, um, I think that goes a very long way into tapping into the kinds of communication that are needed. And if all else fails, there's no harm in just asking them. <laughs> you know, there's really no harm in just connecting into the organization and just asking them, right? What do you need from us? How could we co be communicating better? What would you like to see? What are we communicating well? Um, you know, and, and, and what are the aspects that you, maybe we're not communicating well? Barbara, you've got something to add. Yeah, may I add something? Sometimes it's also really important to communicate the real message that you listen. Because what I've witnessed is that messages from the organization were not happy, not good enough, um, not, not safe. But those were very, very difficult messages for people, sometimes HR people who need to relay those information back to the top um, to be communicated the way they were, which meant that what was really important, even if listened to, was not communicated back at the top mm -hmm. in the way that it needed to be and having the hard and difficult conversation so I totally agree with you it's important to listen and it's important also that the messages that you listen to no matter how difficult no matter are relayed back and for that you need to have um, the space and the trust and the opportunity for people who need to send those messages um, and to be the bearer of the bad news to be able to do that I think that's really important yeah, but 
Yeah. Things to add to that, Barbara. I agree very much with what both of you have said. Um, one thing we see quite often, and it's really a, another thing around communication point, <clears throat> is to try and um, try and read behind the actual words people are saying, and try and read behind the issues that people might be bringing up. Um, a, a good example of um, where we run into this often is um, disproportionately um, an emotional responses, asking for something, being upset about something. Um, because you're in a very high stakes environment, it's already emotionally charged. Mm -hmm. But if somebody is being uh, very angry because you haven't done something which you've seemingly communicated about and isn't a big deal to you, uh, what they're really saying is, I'm, I'm very anxious about this. This is something that means a lot to me. I, I don't know how it's going or it's not going the way I want. And what their communication is telling you is just they have anxiety. Um, so it might not be communication around the actual issue. There might be something else that's... Uh, yeah, I think that's such a beautiful point, uh, Matt. Such a really rich and beautiful point there. And I think um, this is also why normalizing um, this transition period and this change and what might be coming up for us at different stages of this change is, is, is really, really helpful for the whole organization to understand, right? Very often that's communicated to the SLT and they're brought on this journey of change to kind of support the CEO in the transition period, but the rest of the organization is left floundering. Um, and I really think that um, uh, such a beautiful point there that maybe sometimes the feedback that's being given um, is um, is not what's really going on for people, um, the real true felt experience for people. And I think that's where really embedding the listening systems down to where we have really strong trusting relationships, like in our one-on-ones, right? And incorporating not only bigger, broader listening systems, but really those smaller trusting listening systems where we can really drill down to the, that kind of granularity is, is really valuable. That's uh, wonderful. So I'm going to just wrap up at this point um, and uh, in a moment, just take everyone just through the um, the closing slides to just mark up what we're doing next time around. Got a wonderful comment back into chat here from from David. Thank you, David. In a moment, I'm going to stop recording and just invite everyone to come in uh, on um, uh, without the recording on so you can ask questions if you want to. But thank you very much, uh, everyone, for uh, such a wonderful and varied uh, discussion about the issues around succession. Big take home for me, like, uh, this idea from uh, Wanda to uh, normalize the transitional period. So um, I think for me, a big issue uh, always in, in high stakes situations is mismatch. Uh, and if you can set up that transitional phases are fundamentally going to create mismatch, mismatch of expectations, mismatch of um, you know, what, what, you know, um, what you're expecting from people creates emotional difficulty. And so you're going to have this highly charged environment and then i love the points about psychological flexibility like having the emotional and social intelligence to sort of work your way through and problem solve in high stakes situations when the energy is really really high and the results are on the line um and your you know your sense of yourself might be existentially on the line if you're a ceo and it feels like you're failing uh, that can be huge uh, and then this lovely point about balancing uh, the transactional side of this like the handover of power with the relational side of this. So for me, it demands a few people with bags of psychological flexibility to pick your way through these transitional phases. Hmm. 
Thank you, everyone, for such wonderful uh, points. So uh, coming up, uh, I think it's the 29th of the 6th. I'm hoping, um, I'm pretty sure we're going to be on with Bryony from Farrah's and Tom McGuinness from KPMG, just diving a little bit deeper into this uh, issue of succession. It's so multidimensional. Here we bring in kind of um, um, much more wide-ranging uh, view from a people and legal and governance perspective, but also, I guess, kind of the financial uh, uh, as well as the people from, from, from Tom. Uh, so it should be uh, a great one. And that's going to be kind of headlining a session that we're doing together with the Institute for Family Business uh, in October, uh, a masterclass on succession, uh, which will be, um, you know, telling everyone about uh, shortly. Um, and then just a reminder uh, that uh, we are um, building our cohort for the autumn uh, leadership school here at Alembic. And if you're interested for you or your team, uh, just sign into one of the meetings so we can talk a little bit more deeply about that. Uh, and if you're interested, you can find out some more, uh, some details on our website. So I'm going to stop the recording there. And um, thank you, everybody, for joining us.